This enormous ancient gorge is as iconic as it gets. The bountiful, breathtaking behemoth has been inhabited by tribes for over 12,000 years. It's still a sacred place, nestled in the southwest of the United States, straddling over 440 kilometers in length and 30 kilometers in width. People who have journeyed there have been left in awe by its jaw-dropping size. Not to mention the wealth of wildlife, fauna, and activities available at your fingertips. All aboard the Grand Canyon Express! We'll take a gander at the gargantuan Grand Canyon on this week's episode of FYI. Welcome to For Your Info. English. You got it. Hello, 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 and welcome to another exciting edition of FYI for your English, the topic-based show where you learn about anything and everything. And remember, if you have any suggestions for upcoming episodes, drop me a line. I'm really easy to find on social media, or you can go over to my website, albertoalonso.com. Also, remember, I have a daily radio show on Vaughn Radio. It's called The Show With No Name, and it's on the air live Monday through Friday. That's 10 extra hours of exciting English every week. Just go to wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and search for The Show With No Name and my name, Alberto Alonso. Hit follow and start learning and laughing with us every single day. In fact, I'd like to send a shout out to all my show with no namers. Many of my show with no namers are also FYIers. Well, whether you listen to one or both, thank you so much for tuning in and let's enjoy today's amazing adventure together. Let's start off with the intro. I started out by saying this enormous ancient gorge. And just be careful with that word ancient. You don't know how many times I've heard students pronounce it ancient. It's not ancient, it's ancient. And what is a gorge? Well, a gorge is a big canyon. You say cañón, garganta, desfiladero, it says here. See, you guys aren't the only ones learning. My Spanish has improved leaps and bounds. And leaps and bounds means tremendously. So I hope the same is happening with you, but the other way around, in English. So pronounce it with me. Ancient. This enormous, ancient gorge is as iconic as it gets. And you need to know this structure, as it gets. There's a very famous movie starring Jack Nicholson called As Good As It Gets. Does it ring a bell? As good as it gets. There's a little doggy in it. You call it Mejor Imposible. Well, that translation of the title is As Good As It Gets. Mejor Imposible. So in this case, I said, it's as iconic as it gets. O sea, imposible ser más icónico. 
It's a great structure to know, and that is an awesome movie, if I may say so myself. Then I said the bountiful, breathtaking behemoth. Lots of bees going on over there. Well, bountiful is another way of saying abundant or plentiful. Breathtaking is amazing, and behemoth is huge. I know we've looked at that one. Perhaps it was in the Titanic episode. I said it has been inhabited by tribes for over 12,000 years, and it continues to be a sacred place. You can say sacred or holy. And it's nestled in the southwest of the United States. Enclavado, recogido, I think you would say in Spanish. It straddles over 440 kilometers in length. And to straddle is to extend. To span is another one. We looked at that one in the Brooklyn Bridge episode. Well, it straddles over 440 kilometers in length and 30 kilometers in width. And how deep is it? Its depth is 1,857 meters. Just the numbers themselves are breathtaking. But as we'll find out later on, it isn't the biggest canyon in the world. It may be the most popular canyon in the world, but it isn't the biggest. Then I said people who have journeyed there have been left in awe. Just think of the word awesome, asombroso. So if you're left in awe, you're sitting there going, oh, hey, I never thought of that. Maybe it's because it's the sound you make. But people are left in awe not only by its jaw-dropping size, and I guess that makes sense. Your jaw is your mandibula. If your jaw drops, you are shocked. But it's also colorful. And there's also a wealth of wildlife, and a wealth is an abundance. And don't forget about the fauna and all the activities available at your fingertips, a tu alcance. And then I said, all aboard the Grand Canyon Express. Yes, there is a train in the Grand Canyon, but we'll talk a little bit about that later. Because today we're going to take a gander, and to take a gander is echar un vistazo at the gargantuan Grand Canyon. And if you haven't noticed yet, you guys call it El Cañón de Colorado. So I guess it's located in Colorado. It is located in Arizona, in the United States. So then why is it called El Cañón de Colorado in Spanish? Well, think of the river that runs through it, the Colorado River. We already talked about its impressive dimensions. It's also very steep. And when something is steep, that means there's an incline. I think you say mucha pendiente. And that Colorado River we just talked about is responsible for this amazing canyon this gorge in the United States. It was the Colorado River that carved this gorge. And just to give you an idea of the sheer size, I don't know how familiar you are with American states, but the Grand Canyon National Park is bigger than the entire state of Rhode Island. But again, it's not the biggest in the world. We'll take a look at the biggest in the world, plus... More fun facts about the Grand Canyon. We'll also take a look at the fauna, 
the different life zones, the dark side, fun facts. I'll tell you all about my experience there. And as always, we'll take a look at some idiomatic expressions. But all of that is in the bonus episode. And just a quick reminder, guys, there are two episodes every week. And you can get bonus PDF documents with all the vocabulary and expressions included. And if you want to go deeper, you can join us in our higher levels, our super-duper students and our interstellar students. They get a weekly private class with me where we go over all the key vocabulary and they give their opinion on each episode. And if you're in our interstellar level, well, then you get all of that stuff and a private class with me. It's a deal, a bargain, a steal, call it what you will, but I don't know what you're waiting for. If you're hungry for more and you want classes with me, then join my curious community. You can go over to patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso and take a look around. You can also write to me and I can give you some samples. But whatever you do, join us. We are having a blast learning and laughing together. And I'd like to send a shout out to all my patrons, especially my super duper students, Lina, Javier, Paco, Roberto, Jose Maria, and Mila. And don't forget about my interstellar students, the ones who have a private class with me every month, Carmen, Isa, Paco, David, and Edgar. Keep up the good work. And if you guys want to join us, go to patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso and find out what you're missing out on. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a free way to join us now as well. Now, I don't think you'll have access to all the content, but it's a good way to stay in the loop. Either way, go to patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso and let's continue to learn and laugh together. Now, where were we? Right, the Grand Canyon in Arizona. It is one of the world's premier natural attractions and it attracts over 5 million visitors per year. 83% of those visitors are from the United States. And it seems like the park is getting more and more popular every year. But where did it all start? Well, that is debated. For a long time, they thought the Grand Canyon was 6 million years old. But there was a recent study that was done that dates it back to 70 million years ago. Wow, there's a big margin for error there. So somewhere between 6 million and 70 million years old. Who's counting? No matter how you slice it or dice it, that is old. And as we said, it was formed by the Colorado River. Now we do know when the area was first inhabited though. It's been inhabited for thousands of years now. The original inhabitants were Native Americans. They built settlements within the canyon and the many caves. And in the intro, I said something about a holy or sacred site. Well, the Pueblo people, and I don't mean town, I mean Pueblo people, consider the Grand Canyon a holy site. And they even made pilgrimages to it. And we'll see what it means to many other people as well. I guess it means something to everybody who experiences it. Such as the first European, 
or at least the first European known to have viewed the Grand Canyon. And do you know where he was from? He was from España. That's right, Captain Garcia López de Cárdenas. He arrived in 1540 under the orders of Conquistador Francisco Vázquez de Coronado, and he was tasked to search for the fabled Seven Cities of Cibola. Well, he didn't find the Seven Cities of Cibola, but they did come across the Grand Canyon. And in their report, they noted that some of the rocks in the Grand Canyon were, quote-unquote, bigger than the Great Tower of Seville, La Giralda. They were led by the Hopi people, the Hopi Indians who lived there. But many reports say that the Hopi people were reluctant to lead them down to the river. But they were the first ones to get a glimpse at its glory. And interestingly enough, no Europeans visited the canyon again for more than 200 years. The next European to reach the canyon, supposedly, was a guy named James Ohio Patty. He was with a group of American trappers and mountain men, and it's reported that they were in the canyon in 1826. So think about that. 1540 to 1826, no European had set foot on this amazing treasure. Somebody who was an advocate for it was American President Theodore Roosevelt. He was vital in the preservation of the Grand Canyon area, and he visited it on numerous occasions to hunt and just to take in the scenery. And in 1903, Teddy Roosevelt was at the Grand Canyon. And as I said, he was a hunter and an avid outdoorsman. And he was inspired when he was there to establish the Grand Canyon Game Preserve. Now, game in this case has to do with hunting. It's not like game in sports. And this was on November 28th, 1906. This was the first effort to try and conserve this area. And what they did was they eradicated the wolves, eagles, mountain lions, and other predators. And it was not easy to get this turned into a U.S. national monument or a U.S. national park. So let's go in order so I don't get lost. Roosevelt with some of the members of his conservation group, an association called the Boone and Crockett Club, helped form the National Parks Association. Now, this association lobbied for what was called the Antiquities Act of 1906. And this was really important because this would give the president the power to create national monuments. Now, once that act was passed... Roosevelt immediately added the adjacent national forest lands and he redesignated the area as a U.S. national monument. That was on January 11th, 1908. That was five years after that visit there. And there were many opponents, opponents from industry such as miners, 
They blocked the efforts to reclassify the monument as a national park for 11 years. They didn't want anybody cutting in on their action. And finally, after a bitter battle, Grand Canyon National Park was established as the 17th U.S. National Park by an act of Congress, and it was signed into law by President Woodrow Wilson on February 25th, 1919. And I want to go back to that mining thing I was talking about there. Mining is a major problem. It's not a minor problem. <laughs> minor, pequeño, minor, minero. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll stop. Well, yes, mining seems to be a problem because between the years 2003 and 2011, over 2,200 mining claims had been requested adjacent to the canyon, including claims for uranium mines. Now, the critics of uranium mining are concerned that uranium will leach into the water table or to seep into the water table, and that would therefore contaminate the Colorado River. And the Colorado River supplies drinking water for up to 18 million Americans. So it's always that battle between preserving nature and turning it into a factory. I know which one I'm voting for. Let's talk a little bit about the weather and ecosystem. The canyon's ecosystem was permanently changed after the construction of the Glen Canyon Dam. This was in 1963, and a dam is something that holds back water. What happened was the average flood levels dropped from 85,000 to 8,000 cubic feet per second. So sure, with the absence of natural flooding, sandbars and beaches started to erode, and invasive species began to displace the native species. So that really threw off the ecosystem. And there was something fishy going on. Fishy means sospechoso. But also, I'm going to tell you something that has to do with fish now. All right, I'm just trying to be funny again. Well, the Colorado River is a uniquely difficult habitat for fish. There's heavy silt, frequent floods, and temperatures ranging from extreme heat in the summer to sub-freezing in the winter. And as a result, only eight fish species are native to the Grand Canyon. The cool thing is, six of those are only found in the Colorado River. But it isn't the ideal place for fish. But don't worry, there's tons of other fauna, and we're going to take a look at that in a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the temperatures first. Temperatures can vary wildly throughout the year. So you can expect summer highs within the inner gorge to be around 38 degrees. That's Celsius. That's 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And winter minimums sometimes fall below 18 degrees Celsius. So 38 degrees to 18 degrees below zero. That is quite a range. And visitors are often caught off guard by these potentially extreme conditions. The canyon's rims have a very high altitude, which can lead to very unpleasant side effects. Side effects such as dehydration, sunburn, and hypothermia. And what is that rim thing I was talking about? Well, the rim is the edge, and there are two rims. 
You have the North Rim, where temperatures are generally lower, and the South Rim, where obviously they're higher. Heavy rains are common on both rims, on the North and the South Rim, during the summer months. And I remember when I visited, we were told to go the South Rim, because in the winter months, there are road closures, and it's impossible to get through the North Rim. And if you make a mistake and go to the wrong rim, it's about 320 kilometers away from the other rim. It takes about four hours by car. So make sure you go to the right rim. Obviously, it depends on the season. And we're going to look at some top tips in the bonus episode as well. Plus, I'll tell you more about my experiences. Let's look at some amazing activities you can do in and around the Grand Canyon. Now, obviously, you can just go there and sightsee. You don't even have to get out of your car. You can drive around and just take it in from your car, playing some classical music or what have you. Now, that's not the best way to see it, but it is one way that you can see it. But other activities include rafting, hiking, running, and helicopter tours, which are extremely popular. Then there's the Grand Canyon Ultra Marathon. This is for my hardcore students. I dedicate this one to Born to Iron Man. I'm sure he would love to do this. It's a 126 kilometer race that's over 24 hours long. It sounds hardcore. Also, the floor of the valley is accessible by foot, by mule, by boat, or raft. And you can hike down to the river and back up to the rim in the same day. But park officials discourage that. They say it's too much for one day, it's steep, there are rocky trails, and many changes in elevation. Plus, heat exhaustion, because the temperatures at the bottom are much higher. And rescues are done almost daily, even though they take all the necessary precautions. People always go off the beaten path. And in life, it's good to go off the beaten path, but not in a treacherous area where you could fall to your death. <coughs> I remember when I was sitting on the ledge, my knees were shaking. Now, what about camping? By the way, we have an FYI episode on camping if you haven't listened to it. Well, camping on the north and south rims is generally restricted to established campgrounds. You can't just park your car and, you know, camp out anywhere. There are many campsites all throughout the park. And as I said before, if you're looking for ones you can go to all year, then you want to look at the south rim. But there are also campsites on the north rim. Just bear in mind they'll be closed in the winter. Also, all overnight camping below the rim requires a backcountry permit. Each year, the Grand Canyon National Park receives approximately 30,000 requests for backcountry permits. The park usually issues around 13,000 of those permits. And close to 40,000 people camp overnight in this amazing national park. Isa, that one's for you. I know you love camping and you would love to camp out for weeks in this national park. And that's the thing. 
You can spend a day there or you could spend two weeks there and you'd still be discovering new things every day. It just depends on your time constraints. Also, tourists who are looking for a more vertical perspective, more of a bird's eye view, well, they can go skydiving. Hey, a shout out to Carmen. Also, you can board helicopters, as we said before, and you can take small little planes in Boulder, Las Vegas, and Phoenix. Those are nearby airports. And it has its own airport. It's called Grand Canyon National Park Airport. It is near the South Rim. But scenic flights are no longer allowed to fly within 460 meters of the rim because there was a terrible crash in the 1990s. But we'll look at all that stuff when we look at the dark side. Something that has brought a lot of new tourists is the Grand Canyon Skywalk. This see-through walkway that lets you walk out over the canyon. It's not for the faint of heart. But in 2007, the Hulapai tribe opened the glass-bottom Grand Canyon Skywalk. The Skywalk is about 400 kilometers by road, from Grand Canyon Village on the South Rim, and it has attracted thousands of visitors a year, many of them coming from Las Vegas. Also, in 2016, skydiving at the Grand Canyon became possible with the first Grand Canyon skydiving operation opening up at Grand Canyon National Park Airport. Hey, Carmen, that sounds like a good trip. But not all their plans saw the light of day. Many plans fell through. For example, in 2014, a developer announced plans to build a multimedia complex, and they wanted to call it the Grand Canyon Escalade. There would be shops, an IMAX theater, hotels, a gondola, a river walk, and thank God good taste prevailed, and they didn't turn it into a strip mall. On October 31st, 2017, the Navajo National Council voted against the project. And whether you visited the Grand Canyon or not, every time you go back, there's more to see. It's constantly changing. Just think of the shape. It's ever-changing. In fact, it's never stopped changing. And it continues to be shaped by the Colorado River, the wind and the rain, and all the elements. Now, you might not be able to see those little changes. You've got one of the most amazing national parks in the world. We're going to wrap up here with a little quote. A quote by Edward Morgan Forster. He was an English author, best known for his novels, A Room with a View, Howard's End, and A Passage to India. And this is a nature-based quote. He said, What is the good of your stars and trees, your sunrise and the wind, if they do not enter into our daily lives? I hope you guys have enjoyed this part of our adventure, and I hope you'll join us in the bonus episode of today's FYI.